This year's donations might go to, say, the geology department. Oh dear, not the dirt people. Geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. What kind of activity has turned the lake massive? Look, I'm just a geologist. I like rocks. I love rocks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geology Flannel Cast. My name is Steve. Hey there, everybody. I'm Chris. Hello. I'm Jesse. Jesse, from Jesse. now on, I'm just going to just... Your awkward pauses are just going to edit it out, all right? <laughs> it's just going to be, I'm, hello, I'm, I'm Jesse. I, 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 <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Right? Every week. I, you know, <laughs> well, he switched I, camera views now, too. Well, no, the thing, my camera just it keeps disconnecting i don't know what's going on ah but um ah but yeah i thought that sounded more human did i sound like a human it i mean i am awesome a, i am a human pinocchio yeah. said that when he was i'm a real boy yeah. <laughs> all right everybody enough bantering welcome to the geology flannel cast the premier geology podcast hope everyone's doing great today on this lovely early march evening yeah we're doing good steve's recovering from covid right now but he's still a trooper and <laughs> he's got, got the cough a little bit yep. he's good he hasn't coughed once so far nope. tonight uh yeah we're, we're hanging in there doing well um yeah it was we had like honestly a super duper long uh pre-podcast little party conversation almost argument uh with our patreons about uh in and out burger french fries when you're way out west as the bc boys would say um yeah so uh if you too want to become part of this conversation you you can become a patreon and get behind the scenes and listen to us arguing about super and really important real world stuff (laughs) like french French fries are very important they're delicious Yeah, yeah exactly so so you can do that at patreon.com slash geology flannel cast if you if you like us and you want to help out the podcast yeah that'd be great so So, chris what are we what are we talking about today oh man we got a couple topics today uh so the first one do you want to start off with the uh the uh the oil sure all right here we go um good all right so today in 1938 they struck oil in Saudi Arabia for the first time. That was beginning of an era that day. Um, so if you think about it, 1938 was less than a hundred years ago. Think of all the wealth, it, all the buildup. Was it really 1938? Wow. That, I thought it was, it yeah. would be earlier. They started drilling in 35 and they didn't actually start producing for three years. Yeah. It was like seven failed wells or something. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, Saudi Arabia formed as a nation state in 1932, um, but they found oil in 1938, and you know haven't really looked back since. It's uh, one of the largest oil producers in the world. Um, and fun little fact: uh, Jesse, Chris, and I at some point in our academic careers all went to Temple University, and the founder of the geology department of Temple University was a woman named Alice Weeks. We could do a whole episode on her. She was an interesting, interesting woman. Uh, 
she she went to Harvard at a time when they wouldn't let women in the classroom and she would have to listen outside the classroom. No kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she got her doctorate. Wow. And all that stuff. Yeah. Incredible woman. Um, but her husband was, I, I, you know, and I could be wrong, but this is what I've been told. He was part of that team that found the oil in Saudi Arabia. And he was one of the like, uh, uh, OGs, if you will, of BP gas, you know, BP British Petroleum. So, mm-hmm. um, wow, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. So, um, but you know, if you think the Drake oil well in PA, and which I didn't realize it was two people, George Bissell and Edwin Drake, oh, were the first ones to successfully, uh, drill a well in Titusville, Pennsylvania. I always thought it was Drake. I mean, it's the Drake well. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I just read that today. Now, is that Bissell related to like... The steam cleaner? The steam cleaner. Like, <laughs> he was like, I got to get this oil out of my rug. Maybe. Maybe that is. Came up with an oil. <laughs> we could speculate. I just, was just... <laughs> I just did some quick... Yeah, so you were going to say that was in 18... 18- that was in 1859, so 79 years from when they discovered oil in U.S. and then they discovered it in Saudi Arabia. So, in the in the Middle East itself, the, uh, there was a well that was drilled in Bahrain in 1931, producing in 1932 um, by Standard Oil of California. Bahrain, hmm. yeah. Well, it was it was operated by the Bahrain Petroleum Company, <clears throat> which operated out of Canada by Standard Oil of California. <laughs> that makes yeah, sense. That's that pretty good. about right. That's, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there was uh, no tax loopholes involved with that. Yeah, how do you avoid taxes? Well, let me show you how. <laughs> <laughs> First, we go to Bahrain. Okay. Yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, fun fun uh, oil facts here. Um, you guys know who the largest oil producing country in the world is? I'm sure you guys know this. Is it is it the US? So yeah, it's the US of A, baby. Yep. Uh 17 million barrels per day as of 2019. So this is a little I mean, that's yeah, close and enough we're, to real. We're not we're not always number one. We've no, we've ramped but, up production at times and we've cut back production at times. And, and it we globally oil sort of dropped the past year, but I, I just actually saw a headline like yesterday that oil production is now above pre-COVID levels. Hmm. Really? Then why yeah. is my gas price going up? There's a lot going on with that. Uh, it's not just about oil. Those, a lot, a lot of politics, windmills. taxes involved too, and uh, you know, yeah, and and it, there's yeah. a lot. But is there? Now, see, I'm not an expert in this, but when they say uh, like barrels of oil per day, don't they? Isn't there something about it also includes natural gas as well, like oil and natural gas together? And that's how they get that's how the U.S. is number one. Or isn't there some kind of it's not just like just oil by itself? Well, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know that either. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I guess, you know, we talk about oil coming out of the ground versus what that oil gets used for in terms of being refined for gasoline or other fuels or yeah like one percent or it's it's some small margin goes to plastics 
Yeah, I was going to, and I think that number will probably, <clears throat> or at least that proportion will go up as sort of the, you know, there's this push towards <clears throat> electric cars, but the need for plastic is only going up. It's not like we're cutting back on plastics. So the petrochemical industry, one barrel of oil is 42 U.S. gallons. Yes. <clears throat> Duh. That is a that for those of you who are listening, possibly studying for your PG exam. That is something you need to know. How many gallons yeah. are in a barrel? Yep, because you'll have to calculate the you know like the basically what is what is this uh, what is this investigation worth? How much you know? How many proposed barrels are in the ground, and what is the price of a barrel? And you know, you know, you, you need to know that equation. Huh. <laughs> yeah. that. The price gets, is it still tied to West Texas Intermediate? Oh, that I don't know. Bites we crude. So, but yeah, interesting. And it was uh, the standard, I think it was Standard Oil who came up with that 42 gallons because they used to ship it in barrels of all different sizes. Each company would make their own size barrels. And then Standard Oil said, nope, this is the one we're using. They like painted them blue and like, that was it. Like, here's your standard barrel of oil. I always like to think of it as just like, you know, they, they hit a gusher and there's oil shooting out and they're like, grab something to catch all this black gold. <laughs> <laughs> it was whatever they had sitting around. And- I mean, usually they don't like having the oil spill over the ground. A lot of people start getting pissed off when you start, you know, yep. oil yeah. get all over the place. Um, all right, here we go. Fun, fun trivia. Let's see if we can get this. In 2019, about 69% of total U.S. crude oil production came from five U.S. states. What? So this is just obviously just the United States. What were those five states that made up 69% of U.S. oil? Texas. Okay, Texas is number one. California. No, that's not on this list. I thought California was on there. Yeah, Hmm. Oklahoma. Oklahoma is on this list. Wyoming? Nah, the other ones are kind of, well, Colorado, North Dakota, New Mexico, but I thought California was the biggest, one of the biggest producers. Maybe this list isn't right. Anyways, disregard what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I just thought that was interesting that, that I didn't realize how, you know, I know 1938 was not that recent but i I would have thought saudi arabia found oil before then but yeah so from uh what is 1938 to now is what uh 83 years something like that and it was almost that time between when the drake oil was drilled and when saudi arabia oh that was yeah, 79 years. years. Yeah, yeah, 79, yeah. Huh. So. so real fast, just to about what I just said about that that list being incorrect. It actually looks like that list was correct. Wow. So Texas, yeah. So here's, a, here's another site I'm looking at. Texas was number one by far. And then North Dakota, then New Mexico, Oklahoma, Colorado, Alaska, and then California. So California huh. was one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh place. Where's uh where where's good old Pennsylvania fall on that list? Um actually 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeenth place. Really? Six thousand three hundred and twenty-four barrels. Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Times that by a thousand. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm just surprised that we're seventeenth. I would have would have not put us that low. Yeah, but I guess most of our stuff is gas at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean especially with the price of oil being so low. Yeah. It's tough to get out of these tight, deep rocks. So anyway, I just, I thought that was an interesting uh, little tidbit that I saw in the news today that yeah. Saudi Arabia day. and a little uh, tie back to Temple university, our alma mater. Yeah. That's really points. cool. So, um, um, so real fast before we move on, I read a very interesting fact, and uh, this is completely off topic, right? And I'd even talk to you guys about that, just going totally off script right now, but fun, fun, random geology fact that I read this week. All right. So talk about, or I'm going to jump into earthquakes for a second. All right. And everyone knows about the, the old school Richter scale, right? So we, you know, we don't, that's to measure the, the magnitude of an earthquake. It's, it's, it's a bit of a, it's the older, we don't use the, use the Richter scale anymore. It's the, um, uh, it, it, that it's moment been, it's magnitude been, yes, scale. Mo- moment of magnitude scale. It's been, uh, kind of updated a bit, but so, uh, Charles Francis Richter was the, the gentleman's name who took all the, well, he didn't take all the credit, but he's, that's all the, all the credit's been given to him for this, but there's like actually to be called Chuck. Chuck Richter. Yeah. You know, uh, so he's at Lamont Doherty at Columbia university, but did you know that there was somebody else that was on that scale that, that helped develop that scale? And, uh, this gentleman's name was Benno Gutenberg. I think he deserves some credit. Uh, he, he does have some credit. The Gutenberg discontinuity is named after him. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, he should get more credit. So interesting story. The reason that he doesn't get that much credit with Uh-oh. this Uh-oh. is because so he was he was a little he was he was uh, Richter's like mentor at uh, at Lamont Doherty, and when they developed this Richter scale, um, Gutenberg he like okay. said, he's a little el- little uh, little elderly. He had bad vision and bad hearing. And so whenever the press asked him to explain their work, he always said, talk to Richter, talk to her, because he couldn't, he had problems uh. communicating because of his, uh, you know, lack of vision and lack of hearing. So, and so just over time, everybody gave Richter the credit for that, um, uh. the Richter scale. Well, let's face it. To you know, how many times has uh, an advisor stolen a grad student's idea and run with it? It's okay for it to go the other way around every once in a while. Yeah, so the the Gutenberg discontinuity is right at the core mantle boundary. So that <clears throat> he and he kind of did work on that because it's like a it's it's not a set bound. It's sort of amorphous because they think there's like partial melting going on. Um, but yeah, he did. In looking at his life right here, he served in World War One as a meteorologist supporting gas warfare operations. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Oh, so maybe so he didn't deserve the credit yeah, so like, he's watching the weather patterns and saying all right don't gas him yet the wind's gonna yeah. come back at us right yeah. just wait hold it <laughs> well 
So even even Richter will say that the majority of the data they used for you know to develop that Richter scale actually came from from Gutenberg and hmm. so kind of a fun fun little fact that I was reading that last night I was like hmm, didn't know that the more you know there you go that's interesting yeah all right so way, I guess, way to just throw that at us though Chris I appreciate it yeah <laughs> is that sarcasm or is that just you know once again me holding this podcast up single-handedly <laughs> <laughs> It's sarcasm now, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Onward to the main topic. Yeah. Another topical uh, news ish story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a volcano in Indonesia called Mount Sinabung. And we've talked about this volcano. uh, I think a fair amount on the podcast is a very active volcano. And uh, currently, just uh, just erupted yesterday. It had a had a pretty pretty nice size eruption. What what, what was uh, what do we have? Pyro, uh, pyroclastic flow. Uh, on the, I, I don't know camp? about pyro- it. It definitely shot ash like three miles into the atmosphere. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Um, <clears throat> if just real quick, if you know you you may know Mount Cinnabon because. Our guest from last week's episode, Matt Sophie, was previously on because he's done work on Mount Cinnabung. And so we've done a show with him talking about it. Yeah. yeah it was back, back in the day. Six years ago. <laughs> yeah. Way back. So, yeah, we figured we kind of, for the, for the episode, we kind of talk a bit about, um, you know, Mount Cinnabung, a little bit about Indonesian volcanoes and, um, yeah, so Mount Cinnabon is a pretty active volcano. It's uh, it was dormant for a long time, it uh, but it basically kicked back in, kicked back on in uh, 2010, and has pre- pretty much been erupting fairly, fairly often since uh, since that um, since 2010. So about yeah. 11 years now, a couple of times in 2013, a bunch of times in 2014, uh, 2015, it took the year off yeah, well, and 2016, know. 17, 18, 19, 20, <laughs> <laughs> So that, I, so let's, before we get into Mount Cinnabon, I think we should talk a, just a little bit about the general tectonic setting of uh this part of Indonesia. So Mount Sinabung is on the island of Sumatra. All right. And so, um, well, Indonesia by, by itself is the, it has the most active volcanoes in the world. And I want to say off the top of my head, I can look, we can look this up right now, but I want to say it's like 300 active volcanoes right now. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Probably. Yes. Yes. I believe so. No, but the, so, for some reason, 300 is sticking in my head, but yeah. yeah. Um, do you, why do you get these volcanoes? Oh, oh well, wow. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. There is a subduction zone that is causing these volcanoes. So Wait, uh, subduction, subduction causes volcanoes. Yes. Yes, is this is the first time you're learning this? <laughs> so it's it is I, I should mention it's like a superly tectonic active 
area. Soup. That was not a good string of words. Like, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, and you know, if you know it from maybe anywhere geologically, it's the 2004 earthquake and tsunami. Yes, it was mm. in Sumatra here, in sort of this this area. You are you going to talk about the plates? You you want me to tell you the plate names? Do you got the? Yeah, plate I mean, names? go ahead. You know, it sounds like you're on a roll. Well, so there's, it, so it's it's in the Indian Ocean, right? But there's actually a tiny little microplate that's subducting, and you have the what's called another little microplate next to Eurasia called the Sunda Plate <laughs> and um, the Andaman Plate. And so you have these little microplates that are subducting, and then you have the Indian Ocean, basically that's also s- subducting as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. The, the Sumatra so, plate is—that's a transform fault, right? Well, there's there's a there's there's a lot going on. There's actually yeah. yes, there is there's in the. I, I just got a, confused when I was looking at it. Yeah, thought I, I, got it. It, it, <laughs> I thought I had it. I didn't. Okay, so the island of Sumatra itself has a transform fault kind of going down the western. Uh, so Sumatra is kind of, uh, it's kind of elongated in like a north-south-ish direction. I'd say like north, northwest, southeast mm-hmm. kind of direction. Yeah. It'd be like the long axis, you could say. And going down that long axis more on the kind of on the western side is a transform fault. But just off the coast, uh, you know, maybe uh, 100, 200 kilometers west of the island of Sumatra is uh, the the uh, Sunda Trench. Is it Sunda or Sunda Trench? Sunda? Sunda. I guess Sunda. I was saying Sunda, but maybe Sunda. Sunda. S-U-N-D-A. Uh, Feel free to leave a comment on YouTube. Yeah. So If you're from South Philly, it's the Gazunda. <laughs> Gazunda. <laughs> So this is where we have the the active subduction occurring, and it's actually this subduction boundary. It, it continues along the next island uh, south uh, southeast of Sumatra is Java. Once again, um, very volcanically active. The land of coffee. The land of coffee, and then then the the Sunda Trench turns into they they, they call it the Java Trench down there. But, That's where computer code comes from. <laughs> Oh, I'm on fire. Yeah. Hold on. No, Hold no, on. Don't do it. I think they just phased out, Jar. No. Flash. Flash. Yeah, flash. Flash is phased where's out. The, where's the flash plate? Nope. Nope. Sorry. Hold on. Let me I, I got my cricket sounds back. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not gonna we we so back in the old school days of the flannel cast, it was it was what the platform we used to to record the podcast was much easier to have sound effects, but now we basically we do this off of Zoom, and it's a little trickier with the sound effects. I did find a way to do the cricket sound effects, which if you listen to the early, early days, we use fairly often, but I haven't yeah. used it in several years. What's this but, we stuff? You used it. I use. You're right. You're right. Why am yeah. I giving you guys credit? I did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chris. Chris never had a bad joke. <laughs> never. Never. All right. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the. Uh, uh, the subduction underneath Sumatra, and that is causing all these volcanoes that we see along the, the western margin of Sumatra. Okay. Right. So, so the, the plate's subducting underneath, and you know it's, it's dragging down volatiles, and you're getting yeah. mixing of stuff, which is 
reducing the melting temperature of stuff, which then. <laughs> so as it subducts. Hey. Yeah, no, it's, it's He's like right. skip over yeah. it. So I was going to. Yeah, the, the, as the plate subducts, you know, it's, it's been sitting on the bottom of the ocean. So it's all soggy and wet. And so as it goes deeper into the earth, it heats up because it's hot inside the earth. And so all of that, it dewaters and degasses. So those volatiles, Steve was right, that those volatiles come off and they, they rise into the overlying plate. And the overlying plate is hot, but it's not hot enough to melt rock. But by adding these waters and adding, adding this water and adding this gas, it lowers the melting point of that overlying rock. And it's what we call flux melting, which, and that's where you're going to get your magma from. Yeah. So the magma has a low temperature, which I think is important. So the, um, so for Mount Cinnabon, it is a stratovolcano, right? Very, very explosive volcano. You get these, next to these uh, subduction zones, just like you get the stratovolcanoes in the, in the United States along um, like Mount Rainier up in the Cascades, right? St. Helens, all those guys all associated with um, the uh, subduction zones. So that's what we have going on down here in, in Indonesia. And the rock that makes the majority of rock that makes up Mount Cinnabung is andesite and dacite. So, Andesite. If you ever took like an intro to geology class, you've 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 heard of that rock. Uh, it's a uh, it's an intermediate rock, which uh, you know on the scale from felsic to mafic. Intermediate in the middle goes felsic, intermediate, mafic. I don't know why I said it that way, but <laughs> intermediate's in the middle, right? So yeah. salt and pepper. Salt. So, yeah, it tends yeah. to yeah. Uh, it's a volcanic rock, so you're not going to see the individual grains or the you know. The, yeah, the individual grains in that rock uh, or the individual minerals, stuff cools very quickly. And uh, so if you never heard of the rock dacite, that's another another type of volcanic rock as well. And that's kind of in the middle between andesite and rhyolite. So in case, if you, if you don't know anything about the different types of rocks, especially like igneous rocks, rhyolite is considered a felsic rock. It has a lot of quartz in it, not that much. Uh, we call it ferromagnesian minerals iron and magnesium, right? Um, rhyolite is actually, it's, it has the same chemical composition as granite. Just rhyolite cools really fast from during volcanic eruptions. Um, so that's on the felsic side of things. And uh, dacite is basically in between right, your rhyolite and andesite. So that's the, the um, type of rock that makes up Mount Cinnabung. Um, so yeah, this thing uh, like we spin, it's 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 really active. I want to say it's it's one of the, I believe off the top of my head, we gotta we gotta fact check this, but I think it's one of the most active volcanoes on Earth right now. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it's I know it's 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 all it's, it's that, always I mean, going off. There's a couple of, I think on the Kamchatka Peninsula that erupt mm-hmm. more frequently. Mm-hmm. Mount Redoubt maybe in Alaska, but yeah, it's not- got to be up there. It's yeah, yeah. It's it's just you know, very very active volcano. So um, yeah, some of the other things that we can kind of talk about with Indonesia or the uh, the the Lake Toba supervolcano. So uh, Cinnabung is not too far away from 
from this uh, the super volcano. It's it's actually like tw- forty kilometers away, about twenty five miles or so. All right, Chris, what makes a super volcano super? Ooh, good question. It's a really so this. Well, I should say the the Lake Toba super volcano is actually a caldera. All right, right. And so what happens is this: the volcanic eruption occurs. And it empties out the magma chamber below it, and the whole thing just kind of collapses in. And you but see, you see yeah. these really, really big lakes uh, that kind of just fill in, fill in that caldera, that 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 collapsed area. So because like, it was such a huge eruption, like it just like it's a pretty super eruption. It, like I, it basically <laughs> in, instead of like you you see Mount St. Helens and like kind of half the mountain went away, a, a caldera eruption like essentially just you know totally explodes and then it kills the mountain basically and then yeah exactly like chris the mountain's gone now you're just left with like a crater and it fills in yeah so uh this Yell- yellowstone is an example yeah yellowstone um yellowstone is really interesting because they didn't geologists didn't realize the the size of the caldera until they started doing so they they um started doing like lidar surveys of the area it was such a big caldera that you just couldn't see it from the ground. You actually needed like satellite, satellite, um, you know, or you know, remote sensing data to actually see that caldera that's associated with Yellowstone. Yeah, Yellowstone. It's uh, it, it's packed a punch back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't know if the term super actually has a is it, is it quantifiable or is it just basically a caldera? Yeah. Is it just? Just yeah, a, like it's a big honking volcano. Can't define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> there you go. If you have to ask, you can't afford it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, super super volcanoes. So uh, you don't want to live near a super volcano. Let's no, put it that way. you don't want to live. I mean, you want to keep your distance from volcanoes in general, especially when they're like active volcanoes. Well, I shouldn't say that because like, you know, the Hawaiian, I- yeah. yeah, the Hawaiian Islands. Like the, the other year, they kind of you know acted up a bit, got a little finicky, right? And uh, but for the most part, you know, you don't usually hear people, you know, dying from the Hawaiian volcanoes unless they do something really, really stupid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but so I was, I want to throw some fun facts about this uh, Lake Toba super volcano. So. This thing erupted between 69,000 and 77,000 years ago with some recent um, radiometric dating suggesting that it was closer to like 74,000 years ago. And it is the largest known explosion on Earth within the last 25 million years. Whoa. Yeah. So that means it's bigger than bigger than um, uh, Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Yeah. 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 Um, and when it when it last erupted, it was um, estimated that it had a it was an eight on the VEI scale. So the VEI scale is a volcanic explosivity explosivity index. So uh, eight. It, so like uh, I believe seven. I'm looking at now seven's like Yellowstone eruption. So eight's uh, oh here it is. Yeah, eight means uh, it's considered a mega colossal volcanic eruption. <gasps> mega colossal. That is just <laughs> <laughs> so something like this occurs once every fifty thousand years. All right, 
And so uh, what you're saying is we're overdue. Yeah, we're overdue. Yeah. Good yeah, gracious. Actually, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm looking at the the volume of ejecta with this, and it's greater than a thousand cubic kilometers of material. Wow. Man, this so, is a big lake. Holy moly. Yeah, yeah. Don't mess with Indonesian volcanoes, man. They will Yeah. They they pack a punch, you know. It's uh it's no joke. No joke. Hmm. So I thought that was a, a fun little um yeah. It was a nice little detour. I like it. Yeah, yeah. So the last time Yellowstone went off like this, when I actually there was a an eight, uh a VEI eight eruption at Yellowstone that was uh, 630,000 BC. So it was a little more than half a million years ago, between half a million and three quarters of a million years ago. But this was 74,000 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. actually, throwback is this the most recent VEI 8? Eight is as, like as, as high as it goes on the, at least uh, for the, the VEI index. The most recent. Uh, eruption that had an eight on the VEI scale was Talpo from New Zealand. Where's oh, Sophie at? Uh, we could have used them right now. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, that was, was uh, 25,000 years ago. Uh, let me double check that. Really coming what? full full circle here. Yeah. yeah. Matt, what? I, I believe Matt Sophie just like, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm interested in the position, but uh is it within spitting distance of a massive caldera? <laughs> yes, no? Okay, great. My odds for a super volcano? Yeah. yeah, the last two places he worked. He worked in Indonesia and then uh, and, uh, New Zealand. So, yeah. yeah, this one went off. Talpo went off uh, 26,500 BC. Huh. Yeah. All right. What, so, what is 26,500 BC? What is that number? Yeah. 26,000. Oh, sorry. 26,000. All right. There we go. 500. Excuse me. Excuse me. It's, it's like uh, my grandfather used to say, yeah, it's a dollar 385. A dollar 385? Yeah, exactly. 26. <laughs> so is it 26,000? 26,000 years yeah. ago. Uh, well, BC. So, so 28,000 years, yeah, 28, years ago, basically. Yeah. You're yeah. throwing me here. I'm, I'm really confused. I mean, would it be a flannel cast episode if yeah. one of us wasn't confused at one point? Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, Indonesia is uh, very, very volcanically active. So on that VEI index, do they give you like 8, 8.2, 7.9, or is it just like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8? Sorry, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, no, I think it's just, uh, I've just seen it as, as just, just whole numbers. And it's, it's kind of just a, you know, Kind of a describer more than anything else of just um, yeah, just how big, yeah, how uh, kind of what up you, are we gonna be? <laughs> kind of what you can compare the uh, the you know the the volcanic eruption to, um, yeah. So they have you know like like basically on the the VEI scale they have like um, uh, what's like uh, like famous like well well known volcanic eruptions. Like, for example, like a zero, a VEI zero, a zero, I should say, excuse me, a zero on the VEI scale is the classification is like a Hawaiian eruption. Ah, gotcha. All right. So it's very, uh, it's an effusive eruption. Um, also, Hawaiian eruptions can also have like a one, um, 
or you know they'll, they'll cons- a one will be like a Hawaiian eruption slash a Strombolian eruption, like from Stromboli in Italy. Kind of uh, that makes sounds sense. delicious. Yeah. What was the VEI say of Mount St. Helens? Do you know? Uh, I was just going to say that. I think it was oh, uh, like, six, five. five. Okay. Five. The 1980 eruption was five. Five. Okay. Vesuvius was a five as well. Um, yeah, there's St. Helens in 1980. So, yeah, that's it's just kind of, uh, from, from my understanding, it's just, you know, kind of just that's, give an example. Now, can, can we circle back real quick? You said andesite is aphanitic but can't andesite be aphanitic or porphyritic can't you get crystals in andesite isn't that kind of what makes it the salt and pepper a little bit am i wrong yeah i mean andesite i mean you usually it's 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 aphanitic i mean you can get yeah you can get the um the the porphyritic texture where yeah you see like the larger grains inside like more like a matrix of of microscopic you know or more like a homogenous Right, kind of, that, kind of rock, all. but yeah, yeah it's sticking in my head. I'm like, I don't, that doesn't sound right. Is that right? Um, and you know, but I guess the the, the point I'm trying to make is it's from uh, volcanic explosion, like volcanic right, eruptions. Right. So right. when you're dealing with volcanic eruptions, it has very fast cooling times. Yes, you know, you're, you're the the lava that's associated with this stuff has very fast cooling times as opposed to. But you, like, can, yeah, I wonder if it's uh, it, it's. Yeah. All right. I'm not even gonna. And I'm not even know, gonna wander out the, loud the, because the, I'm just gonna make myself sound like an idiot. The porphyritic texture is more about uh, you know just kind of you get these uh, kind of like these like chemical reactions where some some like you like like in in um, andesite you'll get like hornblende grains growing much much fast you know yeah faster and and larger due to just kind of just the chemistry of the whole of the whole situation of the, of the lava you're dealing with. And, is and, that right? Yeah. I always thought I it think was just two-stage cooling. That's, no, I, what, I, I, that's what I was going to say, and I didn't want to sound like an idiot. No, I, well, there's something about <laughs> water. I should have been any day. <laughs> pretty sure off the top of my head, there's something that water gets in there. Doesn't That makes uh, the really big crystals in um, like um, pegmatites, right? Yes. But again, don't trust me on igneous uh, astrology so there was a, a friend of ours from the show his name was uh dr george meyer and he did his phd at yale university and he said one of his questions and i'll never forget it from his phd defense or not you know your candidacy defense whenever you know when you become a candidate and uh it was describe a porphyritic basalt He's like, well, there is no porphyritic basalt. There's no such thing. And they're like, wrong, get out. <laughs> Jeez. And, and the, the answer is there is no porphyritic basalt, but they wanted him to explain how it could happen. <laughs> like, basically, oh. describe the impossible. <laughs> Jeez. And, yeah, so I felt terrible, even <laughs> though that happened before I was born. But still, anyway. Well, peg- pegmatites are a little different because you're dealing with intrusive rock with, with that stuff. And um, oh, maybe it was a pegmatitic basalt. Hey, either way, porphyritic pegmatitic. Yeah, I was going to say because you, I think you can get porphyritic basalt. You can get you can get amygdaloidal basalt, <clears throat> which is where you have vesicular basalt, and the so ves- where you have empty pore space from gases, and then those pore spaces fill in with a secondary mineral. 
Right. <clears throat> so the basalt has like large grains from this infilling. But I don't know if that counts. I got that question at my at my one of my def- my proposal my my what are we comps comprehensive exams uh, for your master's or your phd my master's yeah dr meyer handed me an amygdaloidal basalt <laughs> <laughs> that's why i know it yeah good times so you know the other thing that we can talk about with uh indonesia you know we're on this topic of tectonics with indonesia and, and jesse kind of hinted or he he mentioned this like within the first couple of minutes of the podcast. I did. Was the Boxing Day tsunami? Oh yes, yes. Did. You know, so this area is very, very tectonically active. Um, like Jesse said, there's, there's, there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of these island arc systems, or the whole thing's like a giant island arc system, a whole like the whole country of Indonesia, and there's a lot of tectonic plates there that are just kind of grinding up and slamming into each other, and when that happens, you get lots of earthquakes. So, yeah, you, know, you know, we didn't even mention this. It's like one of the most obvious things. Indonesia is located on the Ring of Fire, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Ring of Fire is the the whole perimeter of the Pacific Ocean, basically, in a nutshell. Um, and this is where you get the majority of your volcanic activity, hence the ring of fire name, and also lots and lots of earthquakes. So usually earthquakes and, and volcanoes kind of go hand in hand. Uh, they're related. So back in 2004 on Boxing Day, which is uh, the Canadian holiday of December 26th. St. Stephen's Feast Day. It's Yeah, it's also a, it's a UK holiday too, right? Boxing Day is UK? I think so. Oh. It's the day the... It's the day that the help at the manor house would get presents from the, 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 the Lord and lady of the house. They would get their boxes, their gifts, because they were working all Christmas day. And so the day yeah. after was when they would get their gifts. No kidding. Haven't you ever <laughs> seen Downton Abbey? Come on. I'd never watched Downton Abbey. Oh, you're missing. All it's of good. my knowledge. Apparently. Of British aristocracy comes from <laughs> Downton Abbey. <laughs> Um, all right, so uh, you know the the earthquake here. I believe, yeah, the the earthquake, the the Boxing Day tsunami in two thousand four was off the west coast of northern Sumatra, and so it hit a nine. They, they figured the earthquake was about between nine point one nine point three um, magnitude earthquake. That's a Which big freaking earthquake. Huge. Yeah. Yes. It's like enormous. What, like what's the, the strongest one ever recorded was, was it in Chile or is it I Alaska? Think I want to say Chile. Yeah. 1960. Yeah. 1960 yeah. in Chile. And that was like nine, five, four. Nine, no. Between nine, four and nine, six. That's ridiculous. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so these and, yeah, n- nine point real, real quick. Speaking of the Richter scale and, it's a modified Mercalli that we're talking about here. Okay? No, no, it's moment magnitude. Moment magnitude. Oh, modified Mercalli. It's like, how did you feel about it? <laughs> <laughs> did it wake you up? Yeah, I love. I love. Did you go up. boom? <laughs> so, just for reference, if you're unaware, um, modified Mercalli is a way in which we. <clears throat> it's a qualitative assessment of how intense it felt. Oh yeah, that's and the way in which they measure that. The USGS has a survey that you take. If you go on the USGS web website for earthquakes and you click on any, that they show a list of like earthquakes as they happen. You click on any of them and there's a little button that says, did you feel it? And you click on it and it'll give you a survey. And I love bringing it up in class because some of the questions are pretty goofy. 
did your plates fall off their shelves and shatter yeah did you like, run out of the house yeah. screaming <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously it's questions like that yeah but the you know we're saying that a, that a nine point two is huge and a 9.4 is ridiculous well you know it's a logarithmic scale so so when you go from an eight to a nine you know log base 10 would be you know if you go from an eight to a nine it's not it's not one times bigger it's uh, 10 times bigger so those and and the the moment magnitude scale is it a true log base 10 scale or is it is it slight i don't think it's log 33 i think something base 33 it's so you know going going from like a, uh, an eight to a nine is a is a gigantic difference, not just you know one bigger. You know it's not like Spinal Tap. Well, we go up one more to eleven. <laughs> yeah, so. and then so and then when you go from like each number, there's thirty times more energy released. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, uh, well, this was, let's just, anyways, back to Indonesia. This is, uh, you know, so we feel anywhere between 9.1 and 9.3. At that point, it's just like, whatever. It, that's just ridiculous, you know? Um, so, uh, and the tsunami itself was like 50 to 100 feet high. Yeah. Uh, it, the amount of, 227 about 228,000 people died. I want yeah, it, it was uh was it it was about yeah, a quarter million people. I thought yeah. I, I want to okay, yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, and the sad thing about it is, you know, if if you ever look at one of those maps of the casualties and you can also see how long it took the wave to get there. So mm-hmm. it it happened in Sumatra, but you know, tens of thousands of people died in India but the wave took hours, like over an hour to get there. So there's should have been plenty of time to warn people to just get away from the coast. And, 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 you know, there, there are warning systems in the, in the Indian ocean now. Um, but basically because of this disaster. So here's the crazy, this is, this is the thing that always boggles my mind about how just nutso of an earthquake this was along the fault where where um where it occurred like we said we're just all west of sumatra all right so over about 1600 kilometers which is about a thousand miles that fault surface slipped 15 meters about 50 feet so popped up 50 feet like just like that in one earthquake event so crazy how many was it like about three no four four stories was what's a story like a a story is like 12 feet 10 feet yeah 10 feet okay well then that's five stories then let's say four to five stories just to you know play it safe a four imagine a four to five story building getting shot up underneath the you know at the bottom of the ocean floor for 1600 kilometers or a thousand miles <laughs> yeah just yeah, imagine imagine you're on a base a thousand, yeah a thousand a, miles is from atlanta to new york city yeah you're on a baseball field playing baseball and then all of a sudden a four-story building shoots up in front of you yeah, <laughs> yeah. like yeah just yeah just imagine the east coast of the u.s shooting up 50 yeah. feet actually i think it's for, it's from probably from atlanta to boston Anyways, it, it, it's a pretty long distance, all right? Just, yeah, like Jesse said, everything shoots up 50 feet, right? So that's going to cause a heck of a tsunami. 
And uh, yeah, it was it was just an absolute devastating tsunami. There's there's tons of YouTube videos out there of of that tsunami. It's uh, and there's some really really graphic videos too of just yeah. yeah. And see, just yeah. just to be super clear, the the f- uh, fifty foot um, jump that was the maximum. And as you go out from the center of that 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 thousand feet, the the fault moved less and less and less and less. So that, that always got me in structural geology is like the fault breaks here, but as you go away from that main breaking, eventually you get to a point where there was no breaking. You get to the point where that, that, you know, if you, if you think of it, of tearing a piece of paper in the middle and tearing it at some point, that piece of paper is still intact. You know, it, it doesn't rip, you know, it doesn't like break the earth and the whole thing cracks all the way well, around. That's the, the earth. other crazy thing is to get into like the elastic properties of rock, which is right. like really, really hard. That for me is always really hard to comprehend, you know, because at one point, yeah, the fault has to stop and there has to be some kind of, you know, it's not just like the whole entire plate just snaps in half. Right. So to, to yeah. think of Chris's analogy from Atlanta to Boston, you know, in D.C., you probably had that 50 foot difference. But as you get closer to Boston, as you get closer to Atlanta, that fault is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And that displacement is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So the, the during the earthquake, that rupture didn't happen all at once. There's actually two phases that took several minutes for this rupture to occur. So the first phase involved a rupture that was about 400 kilometers long or 250 miles ish and a hundred kilometers wide, all right, 60 miles wide. And that was, uh, 30 kilometers beneath the seabed. And it was the largest rupture to have ever, the largest rupture ever known to have been caused by an earthquake. All right. That's, uh, that's, just, you know, it made the biggest rupture that, that humans have ever <laughs> observed from an earthquake, right? So, uh, and then the, the second rupture happened after 100 seconds later. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, jeez. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. So Indonesia is no joke, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, I mean. You know, we could talk about other volcanoes too. There's other other famous volcanoes along Indonesia. There's tons of you know famous volcanoes along Indonesia. Um, you know, Mount Tambora is down. You know, that that's that's kind of farther away. Krakatoa uh, is at I think is Krakatoa at the bottom end of Sumatra or the bottom, the southern was, end of Sumatra, or is it the northern end of Java? North, I was just western end of Java. Yeah, Java, right? I was, is it Java? I'm looking at a map and I can't really tell exactly. You know, I was thinking Krakatoa about that is. earlier. And I... There was another little fun fact about the indigenous peoples of Indonesia. And they've been passed down stories from generation to generation where if you feel an earthquake or if you see the sea recede, right? If Get the sea the starts to go dodge. away, they've <laughs> yeah. been, they were taught to run inland as fast as you can. And yeah. the the ca- the amount of casualties for indigenous people was much much lower because they all knew to do this if they felt the earthquake and they ran or they saw the sea recede and they ran. Yeah, and, which and there's this awful story from a uh, I believe it was an Alaskan earthquake, but the the tsunami hit Hawaii, and it, this was in the 50s, and it was an elementary school, and the sea started to recede, and 
all the little kids Everyone were looking out the window and the teachers took them out to go see what was going on yeah. and they all died. That so. that happened during the Boxing Day tsunami. Like you you see it all on the on the YouTube clips. In the videos, yeah. People just start like, you know, oh, look what happened to the ocean. They all just kind of start running out there and it's just like, oh no. Because yeah, you see fish flopping. Yeah, Krakatoa is literally between Sumatra and Java. Yeah, I saw it on the Sundra Strait. Yeah, it's right in the middle. So Krakatoa, that's the one where the, the ship people went mad, right? Oh, yeah. I was just going to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what? We talked about that in a previous podcast, I believe. Well, it was it was a video that we we're trying to do that never. Oh, that's right. Never that's came what it to was. fruition. Oh, we should find that gem. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so Krakatoa is pretty wild. It was at the the la- at the time. It was the loudest sound when that when that volcano went off. It created the loudest sound ever recorded by you know that that humanity's ever recorded. It was heard in London. Yeah, it was like crazy. From Um, Indonesia to London. London. It's halfway around the planet. It's ridiculous. Um, When when did that go off? 1883? Yeah. I want to say 83. That sounds right. So there was uh, an English ship in the area. I think that 1883, yeah. Um, There was an English ship in the area, I believe, like, 200 ish miles away does that sound about right i don't remember exactly how far it was far in the story so i'm I'm i I think i think it was close enough where they could see the ash plume and stuff and they they heard the noise well yeah and what happened was the the shockwave hit them and it ruptured everybody's it ruptured their eardrums the crew's eardrums on the ship and like basically all their ears started bleeding and they all went deaf oh my gosh so, but there, there's also like a, a captain's log where like the ha- most of the ship thought the world was ending and like started erupting into chaos, and like you know <laughs> yeah. some people were just jumping overboard, other people were I don't know, it, it was it was pretty crazy account. Yeah, they um, could they could measure the change in air pressure everywhere around the world. They they essentially the 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 shock wave from it went around the world like three or four times. Wow. And they could they could measure it all over Europe. Um, all right. So the, the British ship was 40 miles from the explosion. For, yeah, I thought it was closer than 200. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. 172 decibels at 100 miles away. That's crazy. 172 <laughs> decibels is like being on the tarmac when a jet takes off. Yeah, it says it's, it's, yeah, it's louder, louder than a jet engine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 18 hours after the eruption... Weather stations picked up the air pressure change in New York and Washington D.C. Wow, yeah, that's uh, don't mess with Mother Nature, man. That's just, yeah. you just you can't compete. There's like some crazy, crazy forces. And Indonesia, it's beautiful. I don't, I don't think I want to live there. <laughs> too many, too many volcanoes. What thing. would you? Okay, here, fun. Okay, flannel casters. <laughs> What would you be more scared of, the volcanoes or the earthquakes? Earthquake. I think they're. I, I, I think the tsunamis. To tell you the truth. Well, yeah. You can't throw in a third option after you ask the question, Chris. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. I'm thinking on the but, fly here. The old bait and switch. But um, <laughs> I mean, at least with, I feel like volcanoes do give you some warning. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. Earthquakes. They're sneaky. They'll they sneak, sneak right up on you. Yep. And then the scariest thing with that tsunami. So just imagine, right? The Boxing Day tsunami. All right. You survive 
a nine point. What do we say? Nine point two earthquake ish. All right. So, uh, you know, I mean, I think a lot of Indonesia does not have like they, they, they don't have building the building codes that like like California or like you know the United States has or like countries like Chile have you know yeah, or Japan yeah. has been engineering yeah. for it for centuries. Yeah. Okay, so you're in a building and you survive this like horrendous nine point whatever earthquake. Okay. So as long as the debris didn't hit you on the head or pin you down or something like that, you have that whole thing to deal with. Right. So you get out of that thing alive. All right. And I'm sure you're shocked at, you know, you're, you're, you're horrified and, and you're, you're probably, you know, you're not thinking straight and you don't know what the, what the heck just happened. And then the wave comes. Yeah. And it's not just a wave. It's more of a surge of water. It comes and it doesn't stop. All right. And so now you got to deal with this water coming in and it's not just the water. It's all the crap that that water brings in all of the debris. It's pulling cars with it. It's destroying buildings. You have, you know, just, just construction debris that if you get in the water, that, that construction or whatever debris is in the water that can pin you down and drown you like, and then if you survive everything else, that water eventually washes back out into the ocean. Yeah, they have what are called run-up maps, and it shows you how far the tsunami mm-hmm. actually went. And then once that water gets there, all that water is now uphill. <laughs> so yeah. that water wants to come all the way back down. And the tsunami, you know, when you when you when you drop a pebble in a pond, there's not just one wave. It's, yeah. it's several waves mm-hmm. and, and the first wave might not even be the biggest wave. Um, so well, the one thing about tsunamis, um, it's not this cresting wave, this beautiful cresting wave that comes. I, I think there was a scene in the movie, San Andreas spoiler alert, but <laughs> San Andreas, like one of the worst movies ever made. Right. How, how dare you bend <laughs> mouth of rock. It was like a train wreck. I couldn't stop watching it because I was so infuriated by just the blatant lack of care for non-scientific information. When that wave comes cresting over the Golden Gate Bridge and it was just like, that's not how it happens. I love the the rock going up it on a boat. Yeah, man. But then the other thing was. The the tsunami hit San Francisco. Now I haven't seen this movie in you know many years. So, if uh, but I from what I remember was the water stayed in San Francisco and it never receded. And I remember yes. the Rock was he was driving his boat around like the streets of San Francisco. It's like no, the water recedes. You know I don't know how long it. I don't know off the top of my head how no, long. No 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 no. That movie is totally scientifically accurate. Okay. Yeah. San Francisco just sunk. Yeah, don't. Yeah, there was subsidence from the water, the weight of the water. Don't, don't try and you know. No, you're you're right, Chris. Glory yeah. or his valor here. Yeah. Plus, not to mention the fact that San Andreas is a strike slip fault, which would not really yeah. produce a tsunami. That's a yeah. good point. I never thought of. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the main point, and it only goes the even the strike slip fault only goes underwater, like through the bay. It doesn't even. It's on land for most of it. Yeah. yeah, the thing that causes the tsunamis is when the ocean floor kind of just juts up. Like we said, uh, you know, for this for the Boxing Day tsunami, the ocean the parts of the ocean floor shot up fifty feet. All right, right. And so what happens is that directly above on the surface of the water, it creates this this bulge or this dome of water, and then all that that dome then rushes out in you know all yeah, directions once it, once away. It become, 
it wants to go to equilibrium again. Yeah. And so the tsunami wave in deep water is going at like 700 ish miles an hour. It's, it's pretty much hauling ass in the, in the deep ocean. And, and, and it's, it's not very tall. It's only like, uh, I believe off the top of my head, it's only like, like just a couple of feet, like three feet or so. Like the safest place to be when a tsunami hits is out in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, You'll be I mean, fine. You'll be fine. It, and it do- the surge doesn't begin until it gets closer and closer to land. And that's where, the, I mean, the name tsunami comes from harbor wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the Japanese fishermen will go out fishing and, and a tsunami would come and they wouldn't even notice it because out in the ocean, like it just passes under you so quickly and it's such a small wave height but they would come back into harbor back into port and the village would be gone and they could see it washed away and so they assumed the wave had formed in the harbor because they didn't feel it out in the ocean ah i I didn't put that last part together that's pretty nice well i mean not nice but yeah (laughs) (laughs) so all right i got i have a pet peeve all right. And it's I think it is a completely legitimate pet peeve. What grind your gears? <laughs> Hang oh, on, let me get new, my sound effects up. Yeah, new segment. <laughs> Getting Chris fired up here. What grinds his gears? You can't call a tsunami a tidal wave. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you know that, but there's a lot of people <laughs> out there. You hear them say, Oh, the, the the tidal wave hit Indonesia or whatever. No, 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 no. What's the what's what's the root word for tidal wave? Tides, right? It's not that's 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 not what we're dealing with. The correct term. If you ever hear somebody say the earthquake caused the tidal wave, tell them that they're they are incorrect and let's stop this this use. I don't know how this came about. No, tell them to listen to the geology flannel cast. Tell them specifically to go to this episode. Com, all right. <laughs> Order some merch number one. All right, and then you know then learn about the tidal waves. No. Tidal waves, we do get areas where you do get legitimate tidal waves, like up in the Bay of Fundy has the largest tidal range on Earth, like 16 meters or something like that. It's it's crazy. But you actually see what they call the, the tidal bore, or it can be considered like the tidal wave coming in. And uh, and also, actually, also in Indonesia, there is a spot where the tidal bore comes in, and you can actually surf it. Um, I think the record is somebody surfed it for over an hour of just the the tidal bore coming in. But anyways, that's not a tsunami. So please, please, please do me a favor. After you tell like 15 other people to listen to the podcast, you tell them, if you ever hear somebody say the word tidal wave, just tell them, did it come from an earthquake? Or actually you can also get a tsunami coming from a, uh, um, like um, impact or Uh, a landslide as well. Landslides. But I do have a question for you. All right. How do you spell tsunami? With a T. Do you know how to check your spelling in a Word document? Hmm. Hmm. It's <laughs> a very good segue. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so speaking of Word documents, uh, please check out www.formattingformula.com or YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula. Um, I say this because tsunami, 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 tsunami. It sounds like an S, but you, you spell tsunami T S U N A M I. And and for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you see my eyes go over because I am a terrible speller. <laughs> I am an absolute terrible speller. So I have it up on my screen to make sure I spelled it correctly. But that's what makes Word so fantastic is 
you know, you, you type it in and, and it pops right up. But the formatting formula has taught me like, you know, when you're writing something like a resume or, or a, a, a personal statement, when you're trying to get a job, you want that judged up. Well, you know, you can click on words, go to synonyms, find synonyms. Um, uh, you know, the formatting formula has taught me so, so, so very, very much. Excuse me. I feel like I'm going to sneeze and I apologize for that. But uh, yeah, so check them out. Uh, YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula. They essentially teach you how to do it yourself. Or if you're crazy lazy like me, you can contact them, tell them the geology flannel cast sent you and they can fix your document. They can judge it up. They can fix your table of contents. They can format it. They, they even like customize the toolbars at the top for, for very specific stuff that you do. If you do something over and over and over, like a repetitive form or something like that, they can make the form, like they can do everything. So please check them out. Tell them the geology flannel cast sent you formatting formula.com. Steve, I have a question for you. Shoot. Twice. You said, judge it up <laughs> yeah <laughs> what? If, you don't, if you don't know what that means type in I mean, the word and hit synonym I, I i i don't think that you can find that in word though i mean I, I, I i've used context clues to you know to, to figure out what exactly you mean there but uh, all right send drop us a line and send us an email uh, at geology flannel cast do you know what zhuzh means? Yes or no? If I were to say zhuzh it up. Yeah. How would you spell that? I just got done. Ooh. We just did a whole seg, a whole commercial about how I can't spell. <laughs> <laughs> now you're asking me to spell something. If you were to put it in word and have word check, you know, here we go. J-U-S-G-U. I don't know. Zhuzh. It sounds like it's French. Yeah. <clears throat> Here we go. You know, I'm not even doing this. Why am I doing this? <laughs> oh. I can hear all of us typing right now. I found, George, George, did, George. did you find the spelling? It's insane. No, spell it. You're, what letter do you think it starts with? I, I, I started with G and no. I started Z. with G. D? Z. Z H U Z H. Zhuzh it up. There it is. I would have never. How did you find that? Uh, and, and thank you very I, much. It is in the Miriam Webster dictionary. Yeah, hold on, hold on. There I, is. I typed J U S H it up, and Google did did the hard work. So look at me and my extensive vocabulary. Okay, just because you don't know a word, don't mock the man who says it. Yeah. Check you can, yourself, you can Chris. Spell it. Um, Z H O O S H too. Z Z H O O S H. Zhuzh. Yeah. Zhuzh. But Zhuzh is Z H U Z H. Z H U Z H. Yes. Or or you can spell it. This is blowing my mind. T S Z U J. <laughs> Where'd you? you I'm that? just I'm just saying letters right now. Okay. Right? This is not, why isn't this showing up on my? Okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Geology Flat. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm in the Cambridge Dictionary right now. Zhuzh, Z-H-U-Z-H. Yeah. Also, Z-H-O-O-Z-H or Z-H-O-O-S-H. Zhuzh, to make something more interesting or attractive by changing it slightly or adding something to it. Like I said, yeah. you want to zhuzh up your resume. This is how you do it. What's Formatticformula.com. The what's, what's the country of origin? Uh, I don't know. Hang on. 
when did it come about? What year? <laughs> use it as. Well, I guess you use, use it. Um. Huh. Word I origin is Polish. Oh, I actually I could see that. I want to say if I'm if I'm reading this correctly here, and it's a relatively new word. Here's an like example. 20th, f- cent- 20th century. The former new inn now boasts a zhuzhed up beer garden. That's an example <laughs> in the dictionary. Zhuzhed. So it can no, be a verb. If it involves a beer garden, that means the hipsters invented the word, right? Uh. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> sorry. No, I was wrong. It wasn't Polish. I'd read this properly. It, um, it's Polari which is a form of uh, British slang. Ah, see, I'm just a sophisticated Brit. What can I say? English-based right. cant, um, which is a jargon or language. You've never heard the word judge before? No, I've never heard that before. Really? I really, I've never heard that before. Mm. Mm, you, you, right. don't run it, you don't run in the right circles, I guess. I guess, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, you Man, zhuzh up your vocabulary. So back to this. Uh, back to, <laughs> now that nobody's listening now at this point in the podcast. Um, <laughs> back to this uh, Cinnabung volcano, man. Jesse, I'm looking at that uh, that Twitter link. I just, I just retweeted it on our on our Twitter account. Cool. The, the CBS News thing you sent of Cinnabung. Exploring. It's pretty it's impressive. A big freaking ash cloud, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's so mis. So if you're ever in an area where there is, um, you know, you see this a lot areas like proximal to the volcano erupting. It almost looks like when that ash falls to the ground, it looks like snow. So it's not snow. It's ash. <laughs> and the main difference is snow is just frozen water. All right. Ash is microscopic glass. All right. So the point I'm trying to make is you don't want to be breathing that garbage in. Okay. Because what happens is that microscopic glass gets in your lungs and then it just acts like small microscopic razor blades. All right. And it's really not good for your lungs. It clogs up cars. Like cars can't run once they get inundated with that ash. Um, My favorite airplanes, helicopters, airplanes. Yeah. My favorite story about this. Um, was when Mount Redoubt erupted in 1989. The commercial airliner? Yeah, the airliner that flew through the ash cloud. And it um, basically chewed up the engines, and both engines went out. And it went from 30,000 feet to 10,000 feet in like two minutes before they could get the en- one engine restarted. And then they landed. They landed on one engine, I guess. But can you imagine? Holy moly. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know anything about aviation, right? But did the pilot not see the ash cloud? No. And that's the thing. When you're up in the high altitude, the ash is sort of dispersed. That's why after like when when the Icelandic volcano. Not going to try to pronounce it? I Well, now I'm worried about uh, uh, our friend from the YouTube comments or Icelandic friend. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, you know, it shut down air traffic for the, like yeah, six weeks or something, right? six weeks. And it was all over Eastern Europe and it's, and it wasn't just 
the visible because it gets up say in the upper parts of of the the, uh, the troposphere and it 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 becomes really tough to see because it's it's so dispersed i actually i didn't i didn't realize that part okay yeah. i That's just figured it'd be like a giant column but you I, you're right you that makes sense you know i just, yeah, the, i was just assuming it'd be like a giant column and you know and some some cowboy pilots like here we go lock and load baby hold on to your seats <laughs> but but a little more locally too. Not only is it bad to breathe, but uh, water has a density of one gram per centimeter cube. The ash is rock. It's heavier. Yeah. It's got. It's like two and a half times the density. So, you know, if you have an inch of ash on your roof, that's the same thing as having you know half a foot of snow on your roof. So, and not you know it also packs differently and things like that. But that you know what happens sometimes is it actually collapses people's roofs because the weight of the ash is so much that, um, you know, it's just too, too heavy. And, and especially in places like Indonesia, they're worried about rain, you know, their building codes aren't, aren't worried about snowfall. Like if you live in the Northeast or something like that, you know, your roofs are pitched steeper and, or they're, they're yeah, just more robust I mean, so they can handle like that Buffalo, weight of the snow. You know, you get like yeah. 10 feet of snow sitting on top of your roof. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got a question and borderline. I, I, I should know the answer to this, but I don't. I was wondering if you guys knew the answer. Pompeii, right? How did those bodies, what, what happened with the eruption of, do you, any of you guys know what happened with the eruption of Pompeii and how those bodies got preserved? It was, <clears throat> it was a pyroclastic flow. It was pyroclastic flow. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Pyroclastic flow. Yeah. And it, how did, like, so when I think of pyroclastic flow, like, I always think of, like, we we've told the story about before about on uh jeez uh, the, the the crafts Maurice and Katya craft they got yeah. nailed by that pyroclastic flow and Mount Unzen in Japan right yeah so what I guess the you know uh, in uh, so I guess in Pompeii how did those bodies get preserved because I would have thought that was it just like further away from the mountain to where the, the body the, the body themselves wasn't preserved well i know I mean, the body wasn't yeah it was like a cast, we, we had right? a news yeah we had a news story a little while ago where actually uh they just imaged somebody's brain because their brain actually oh, turned yeah, to glass yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if brain boiled and like yeah like crazy yeah. stuff um so yeah that's kind of you're, you're essentially making a cast it, a cast like and, and it i mean it dumped a ton of ash on top of it mm-hmm. so it it got preserved in the sense that it, it sort of locked everything in the ash. Okay. So the, there was a basically an airtight ash layer on top of that pyroclastic flow. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. That was the one thing I, I, I never really fully understood how that worked because you would think that they'd just be like, you yeah. Know, and it's, it's awful vaporized. too, because you can see like it, it was so hot that they're blood boiled in their heads. Like the yeah, top of their yeah. heads exploded and stuff because the pressure but, needed to go somewhere. But then there was also that pyroclastic flow in, uh, geez, uh, Japan a couple years back where people actually got there. The hikers, the or maybe it wasn't the what was what was the deal with the that might have been a lahar. No, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't a lahar. It was um, there were some hikers in Japan and the volcano burped and you just saw this ash. It probably wasn't a pyroclastic. Flow. Oh, I guess it was, it was yeah. just like an ash. The ash cloud came at them. And uh, they kind of hid behind some boulders and obviously survived that. But yeah, because um, pyroclastic 
lows are like a thousand degrees. Yeah, yeah. New we are yeah. dead, glowing cloud, yeah. you know, like yeah, it's it's really, really hot stuff. So um I think it was just a little ash burp. Yeah, that that like that that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. 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 If you listen real close, the mountain says, Pardon me. Mm. <laughs> Where's that cricket sound? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh anyway so, indonesia not a good place to live well, no I, well you can't say that but it's just eh. it just has this natural disaster you could say california not a good yeah. place to live i know? would say that too <laughs> although some of our patrons might be angry with us we were having a discussion about in and out burger earlier so um no no i i do feel slightly spoiled in that you know Tectonically speaking, I'm in a pretty inert position on the planet. But. Well, I think I forget if I've told the 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 story on the podcast before, but back in 2011, there was an earthquake in in Virginia, and 5.8. Uh, yeah, Mineral Virginia, which is uh, I guess like a hundred ish miles away from Washington D.C. And I was living in Northern Virginia, just you know a couple miles outside of D.C. at the time. I literally had just moved there. I was living there for two weeks. And that earthquake hit, and I just remember my house. I lived in a one-story rancher. I rented a room in this one-story rancher, and the whole house started shaking like crazy. And I was like, what is this? This is nuts. And I thought the air conditioning unit was going to explode in the, in the house. I ran outside, and you could feel the ground shaking. Uh, and it, you know, I, I've been in the in the you know in the area where um, buildings have been not the imploded that's what I'm looking for you know you uh, when when a building when you're nearby a building that implodes you can feel the ground shaking so I was like wow it, I, that's the first thing that popped in my head was it it's, it feels like you know there, there's this building that imploded and I was like there must be like a, a gas explosion or something I thought of everything and then I was and then because at the time I was living 15 miles outside of DC and I thought like oh terrorist attack like you know did DC just get nuked? Like this is like so what? 18 different things before yeah, you went to earthquake. 18. And my, my neighbor comes running outside. He goes, we're having an earthquake. And I go, no, we're not. I'm a geologist. We don't get earthquakes like this on the East coast. <laughs> well, my neighbor was right. And the, uh, at the time was a PhD student. The geology PhD student was dead raw. <laughs> it just, it, you know, it was just, it was just crazy because it just wasn't in my, I, I wasn't thinking earthquakes you know we i'd never felt anything like that on the on the east coast before and it was a it was a you know pretty pretty wild experience and then i remember the next night i was sleeping at three o'clock in the morning i was woken up by an aftershock and it had like i just remember the way that the the way that my house was shaking it was just like it was a shake like i've never like heard it, it was just like a shake like this thing's coming down i remember that hearing that same exact shaking feel again at like three o'clock in the morning, the next, the next day when one of the aftershocks hit, it was just, it was just creepy, eerie and creepy is is the best way to describe that aftershock. But I'm also, I, you know, I'm an East coaster and I've never (laughs) been exposed to that stuff before ever. So there's my earthquake story about how I was a, big swing and a miss for me (laughs) i think in a later episode we could uh discuss why east coasters 
uh, felt it more. And it's not just because we don't have as many. Well, it's, it's more crystalline rock associated yeah. with, you know, the, the Appalachian, you know, the, the Piedmont of the, of the Appalachians. It was just able to kind of move out more. Yeah, it's like dinging a bell. Yeah. Yeah. So does that ruin your idea for a podcast in the future? I, I guess so. <laughs> It'd be a very short podcast. I was going to go into it a little bit more, you stinker, but because I don't uh, think we've I don't think we've done one exclusively on earthquakes, have we? Ah, uh, we had to have covered earthquakes. If not, this podcast pretty much covered. Well, well that's actually, true. It, it does. Well, we, there's a lot more to go into with earthquakes than this. Yeah. But, so I it is from what I'm remembering recollecting i don't think we did one specifically on earthquakes yeah. no so, kidding i think we should in the future but oh um, my god it's just, yeah absolutely we should uh, no that's a lie i i totally lying we did one uh there we did one about specific earthquakes in uh with kelly blake out in california mm-hmm. mm, okay okay um so we did we did cover some of the basics then but um maybe not a whole yeah so i apologize we did do one with kelly we should yeah that's we should i don't know how did wow that one kind of slipped through the cracks <laughs> yeah and, and one of our news stories was uh earthquake tracking the fermi paradox and the drake equation so that may have been what you know that was a pretty heavy episode <laughs> that was a little more recent that was in the last couple months we did that one yeah uh, that was september so four months ago yeah september hmm yeah, the Kelly Blake one was back in May, so a little less than a year ago. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Kelly, Kelly tweeted at us that uh, she was upset that, uh, you know, she's tied with Matt Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, Kelly's a little, she's a little firecracker. I love her. <laughs> Listen, you don't, you don't want to upset the captain. No, no, you don't. <laughs> Oh man, I bet you she's just sitting there. Uh, what was that website? She was oh Perez Hilton. She loved checking up on Perez Hilton every morning. I I come in uh, back when you know Kelly and I. Well, well I, I I was. That's grabbing. not bad mouth. One of our featured I'm guests. I'm not bad mouthing her. I just one of my one of my fondest memories of Kelly is, is every morning. I, I well, not every morning, but I always catch her. And that was like her guilty pleasure was looking at Perez Hilton. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. You know, no, I, I remember when she was in grad school, that, that girl worked hard, <laughs> very hard worker. I'll give her some Perez Hilton time. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any, uh, any final words on Mount Cinnabon and Indonesia in general? We, we covered more than just Mount Cinnabon. I feel, yeah, we but, really- uh, yeah. Oh, you know what I wanted to talk about? I'm excited to hear this. Yeah. M&M's. <laughs> am I right? <laughs> What's the deal with M&M's? Yeah. Um, no. So the island arc systems, I've, I've been reading about this uh, a fair amount. The island arc systems of Indonesia is kind of comparable, I think, to what the what was what later became honestly california so california is this is we could do a whole episode on this about exotic terrains that make up california but they feel that one of the one of the things to compare like when you think about like when california was being assembled they say all this like exotic terrains and and micro continents and uh, pico continents even like smaller um yeah um 
like really, really small, like basically just tectonic plates and, and stuff like that. These, but uh, they they feel that at one point the California, the coast of the coast off of California looked very similar to what Indonesia looks like today, hmm. just with a crap ton of like small islands and all these island arc systems. And that's, that's, you know, California eventually, you know, was just kind of assembled with all these exotic terrains that just plastered onto the, onto North America and got sutured on. And that's, you know, California. And I always wonder if maybe, you know, just as an East coaster, um, you know, we, we talk about the, uh, Taconic orogeny or right? the, the first, you could say like the first mountain building event of, of the Appalachians, uh, throwback to episode two of the podcast, right. Mm. Talk about, um, you know, volcanics off the, off the coast of Laurentia, which, you know, later became North America, but the old school name for North America before it was North America. But I kind of often wondered, you know, you know, maybe it was like, you, you see these, you see these um, diagrams like with like one single like island arc system slamming into slamming into North America. But I often kind of wondered like hey, maybe it was more a little more like Indonesia, you know, something like that. With like you know, just lots and lots of islands out there. But thought experiment, you know. Yeah, could be. But anyway, so just wanted to kind of throw that out there too. Um, eventually, you know, if you want to talk about like you know where all this exotic terrain came from you know, from making up California, think of like Indonesia and that's, you know, it's, it's all this stuff from these Island arc systems. You're making, you know, essentially, uh, you know, new continent or, you know, yeah. Continental crust kind of with, you know, from the volcanic activity. And then eventually that stuff slams into continents and you cool. get continental accretion. Huh. I like it. I mean, sure. why not? I'm sold. All right. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, um, yeah, I say we should wrap it up at that point. Um, <laughs> thanks everyone for uh, for listening to this episode, episode eighty four of the Geology Flannel Cast. Guys, we're gonna have to start talking about episode one hundred pretty soon, and Ooh. that's gonna be a humdinger. You know, I I, I we're, we shouldn't hold anything. We, we shouldn't hold anything back for for episode one hundred. Can't hold anything back now, Cotton. We really need to make it count. I mean, episode 100, that's just 15 weeks away. So anyways, <laughs> <laughs> crickets yeah. chirping right there. Um, no, you know, by then, maybe it'll be safe to travel and we could be in person or something. Man, or, we could do an yeah. in-person episode for that's it's in the summertime. So episode 100. Yeah. Hmm. All hmm. vaccinated up. Yeah. I did it the old fashioned way. Yeah. Steve just took one for the team game, you know, team player right there, you know, anywho. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Again, check us out at www.geologyflannelcast.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, please become a Patreon and help support the podcast. So Chris can get his fancy new mixer so he can mock me more in real time. Um, (laughs) um yeah so on uh, on the patreon site if you if you'd like to help us out uh become a patreon subscriber there's a couple different tiers starting the lowest one starting as little as two dollars a month and that that helps out a lot if you become a two dollar a month member we'll throw in some stickers you know as a little thanks for for helping whoa, whoa, us whoa. out for two dollars you get a sticker I give you, I, I give more than a sticker. Oh right? man. You're so generous. Cheapscape. All I'm right? telling you. 
Um, but uh, if you become a, uh, we call that's the two dollar a month member is called a calc member. It goes by Mo's hardness scale. Um, next up, uh, if you want to become a quartz tiered member, I know we skipped a couple minerals between talc and quartz, but get at me. Uh, with the for five dollars a month, you can hang out with us. Um, we had some, like Steve was saying, we had some really fun conversations about In and Out Burger today before the podcast started. Very amongst debate. other things, yeah. Amongst other things, and uh, I don't know, just we got some really, really awesome, uh, you know, uh, yeah. people that sponsor us on Patreon that, that come hang out every week, and really, really cool group. So, uh, if you'd like to come and join the group, um, you know, there's always that. If you become yeah. a the un- unobtainium level, you can move in with Chris. <laughs> I have to run that by uh, my significant other, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Eddie, that's patreon uh geologyflannelcast.com uh we got some cool merch on there t-shirts coffee mugs uh allegedly the geology flannel cast coffee mug may or may not make your coffee taste at least 20 percent better that's what i've heard 20 percent. that's the word on the street your coffee will just taste that much better um, so we got some, I uh, got coffee mugs on there, geology, final cast t-shirts, hoodies. Uh, and then you could also just get some stickers too. And all that, all that helps us out to, um, keeping this podcast up. And, um, so that's at geology, And then, uh, so Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Too. Yeah. So subscribe to all that stuff. If, uh, if you still want to, if you maybe you're not able to help us out financially, just tell a friend or, like us, leave a review on iTunes, all that stuff that, that helps out a, a ton too. So subscribe to us on, on YouTube, all that stuff that, that, that helps out. You don't even have to. Yeah. Financially and help it's uh, March mayhem. Oh, I don't want I don't oh. want to get sued. March, March mayhem, March cr- craziness. Yeah. Craziness. We're, we're so March. crazy. You have to tell all your friends about us. So <laughs> that's my goal for next week. We'll have to see how we can work this out, but the brackets. Yeah, yeah I was thinking about that today. Yeah. Mineral Madness. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you oh, very man. much. Mineral Madness. So also, uh, our Patreon friends, they hang out for the live recording of the podcast and they send us cool little chats. Yes. Fun little blurbs like that. Thank you very much. Maddie. Yeah, usually they're awesome. Sometimes usually they're, they're always awesome. They're always hysterical awesome. and sometimes they're so heartwarming i cry a little so doesn't yes. take much to get the waterfalls no it doesn't you, but... that's point that's a true story <laughs> all right well ladies and gentlemen this officially ends episode 84 of the geology flannel cast thank you so so much for listening for the episode we love you guys And we will see you guys next week with another action-packed episode of the Geology Flannelcast. Signing out, I'm Chris. I'm Steve. And long pause. I'm Jesse. There's a pause. I'm going to edit that out. I'm sick (laughs) and tired of his pauses. (laughs) All right. Have a good night, everybody. Love you guys. Bye. 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 Thanks for stopping. Bye. (laughs) Bye.